I saw your be good baker running by again the other day, says I to old Mr. Brennan. Ah, yes, says he. I've never seen her stand still. And she's running rings around the rest of us with our Brennan's be good bread. Only 60 calories a slice. 60 calories, says I. That's just a whole meal, is it? No, says he. It's the whole meal, the whole grain, and the waste. 60 calories a slice and high in fiber, whatever way it slices. That's why anything baked is better with Brennan's. Today's bread today. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Andrew Jenkinson, biatric surgeon, telling us why we eat too much and what we can do about it. When you look around the high streets, you'll see people with the condition, which I would call a disease because it is, it's called blockage of this weight regulation hormone. Walking around with six months, or you know, at the extreme, they could survive a year without eating. These extremely obese people who are 30 stone. And, and that's because their weight regulation signal, which is called leptin, is blocked. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Love them or hate them, the Christmas number one is very much embedded in festive nostalgia, whether it's the opening chimes of Band-Aid or the dulcet tones of Mariah. As the official Irish charts turn 59 and the UK charts turn 70 this year, the Indo-Daily thought it would be fitting this festive season to look back on the golden age of the Christmas number one and to ask the ultimate question, is it even relevant anymore? Joining me today is John Marr, feature writer and music critic in the Irish Independent, and Irish Independent entertainment correspondent Melanie Finn. But before we chat, who better to remind us of how cheesy a Christmas number one can really be, other than Bill Nye in the 2003 now classic Love Actually. Okay, um, here's one. How do you think the new record compares to your old classic stuff? Oh, come on, Mikey. You know as well as I do, the record's crap. <laughs> but wouldn't it be great if number one this Christmas wasn't some smug teenager, but an old ex-heroin addict searching for a comeback at any price? All those young popsters come Christmas Day, they'll be stretched out naked with a cute bird balancing on their balls. And I'll be stuck in some dingy flat with my manager, Joe, ugliest man in the world. Fucking miserable because our fucking gamble didn't pay off. So if you believe in Father Christmas, children, like your Uncle Billy does, buy my festering turd of the record. John, what exactly is the history behind the Christmas number one tune? Well... There's a there's a fantastic history, Denise, um, and I'm old enough to remember the the great kind of battles for that Christmas number one. I'm 46 years old, and I suppose the the absolute peak of excitement around Christmas songs were in the 70s and 80s. I mean, at, I remember at nine years old that battle between Band Aid and Wham for the UK number one. And of course, in Ireland, it was all about the UK number one, whatever about the Irish number one. It's what happened across the water that was important. And it, there was just such excitement around it. And I'm kind of sad to say that we haven't had that in so long. I mean, we, can, can anybody remember what the UK number one last year was? Um, it's pretty grim, actually. If you think back to the past three years, like, I, I suppose that the great Christmas songs, um, you know, started with Bing Crosby in the 40s and continued up 
through Phil Spector's Christmas album in the early 60s. And then you had a, an extraordinary rush of amazing festive themed songs in the 70s. And that probably continued until the late 80s, early 90s. And then it sort of fell off a cliff. But when we think of great Christmas music now and those huge hits, it is the songs of the past that we think of. It really is. It's the it's the album of, you know, a mix of the last five decades of music, really, that people put on when they're cooking their Christmas dinner or when they're wrapping presents mail, isn't it? It's not really the contemporary Christmas tunes that we listen to. Yeah, I mean, Christmas is all about tradition and about nostalgia and about a hark back to times, especially when you're a kid. And I can relate a lot to what John said. Without revealing my age, I'm also old enough to remember the Top of the Pops and the Christmas number one. And that was appointment TV. You know, you'd sit down with your family as a kid during the 80s and you'd tune in to see who would be the Christmas number one. And at the time, it was like a spectacle. Like, you know, the production values were were huge for the time. Um, and of course, you had the whole Battle of the Bands and, you know, smash hits and there was like hysteria around it. And the way we consumed music was very different back then. You know, people would have to physically go out and buy copies of the singles, you know, support the band that you loved the most. X Factor, unfortunately, you know, it killed all that off as well, of course, all the streaming giants. But, you know, back in Ireland, it didn't really take that much to have a Christmas number one. I mean, you're probably talking about a couple of thousand singles. And we had this really funny situation where you'd have like band members or their manager physically go out around the record shops and start buying in bulk, you know, throwing them into the back of the boot of their car and then selling them on at their concerts, you know, just to get that number one spot in Ireland. In the UK, it was a whole different ball game. You know, it's such a huge market. And if you're talking about number ones from the X Factor, you know, at, that, at the peak of its popularity, it had about 15 million viewers. So whoever got the number one slot had an automatic fan base um, and would automatically, you know, get the Christmas number one spot as well. Of course, we had the whole backlash then, you know, starting in about, I think, 2009 with the Rage Against the Machine. And people were like, no, we're not having a TV show tell us what our most beloved single of the whole year is. Um, and that was the kind of the start of the end for the Christmas number ones, as well as, of course, as the streaming giants. Yeah, I, I, I agree there with, with, with Melanie in terms of, you know, X Factor did such damage to the excitement that that we had in the 80s, for instance. I I mean, it's hard to think of a song that has entered the canon since Mariah Carey's I Don't Want a Lot for Christmas, which was 1994. I mean, that is a long time ago. And... You know, we just got used to uh, every year, effectively, another song becoming part of the the huge Christmas tradition. And then it just stopped. And it hasn't been for want of trying. I mean, there have been some very interesting attempts. I mean, Tom Smith of Editors and Andy Burroughs, formerly of Razorlight, released a really good Christmas album together some years ago wonderful music on it, really good songs, but it really was below the radar. And we have kind of missed something, I think, with that. But I would make the point as well, um, Denise, that people don't really care about the charts like they did before. 
Um, Top of the Pops was a huge deal for me growing up. I remember watching it religiously with my mother on a Thursday night. She'd have her, um, my mother always used to sing into a hairbrush. And I remember just all Elaine Page and Barbara Dixon in the mid 80s and my father saying, what on earth is happening in here? And, And just it being this huge kind of event um, for us in two channel land or four channel land, however many channels we had in the 80s. And I think from around the time of iTunes and the ability to effectively create your own playlists and where radio wasn't as important anymore and people could live in a, in a bubble of, of their own music effectively with unlimited choice, chart music just sort of lost its appeal and the race to the number one dissipated and 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 I can't ever see it returning which which is a shame and it's 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 really a shame around this time of year because there was once such feverish anticipation about what would get to number one Mm -hmm. I remember as a kid, um, Today FM used to have their top 30 or 40 on a Sunday evening and uh, I'd go in and tape it on the radio and sit there and listen to hear what the number one was that week. So it's like, you know, that excitement has gone. But do you think so? Because I think it's interesting that you're both saying, you know, it's Simon Cowell to blame and possibly that X Factor era. But I think it could be something more towards what John is saying there. It's like, you know, music has become so much more individual and with streaming, you can just have your own playlist. It's really almost more of a solo act now to listen to music than what it was before. Do you think Simon Cowell is to blame for the death of the Christmas number one? Or do you think it's the introduction of streaming services and people becoming a little bit more individual? What do you think, Mel? Well, they're probably, I mean, you know, streaming services and the way people consume music now is so different. So it's like a wall of 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 of, of sound now, essentially. You know, when you have Spotify, um, you know, picking playlists and then lashing them out to their subscribers and saying you need to listen to this and this and this. Um, and they're the ones ultimately that are making all the money as opposed to the artists themselves. And then even like a Taylor Swift, like pulling her music off Spotify. Um, so there's so much stuff. There's, you know, people are consuming so much music, but I don't I don't think it's of a high quality necessarily. You know, it's more quantity over quality. And at the end of the day, like the record companies were in the past, it's the streaming giants that are accumulating the huge profits with this. I mean, X Factor certainly has a part to play in it because it was such a manufactured idea of a single, you know. And I've gone over to the X Factor in London and the buzz there, I mean, especially when it was at its height, you know, 10, 15 million viewers and you're backstage watching all the excitement, watching the machine in action. And, you know, you'd have the finalists and they'd have the two songs, you know, competing for each other. And then you'd have the public and the public were feeding into it. So they really felt like it was a kind of a democratic thing because they had a say. And then ultimately the winner would go on for the Christmas number one. Um, And then the whole house of cards, you know, I think there was seven number ones with an X Factor winner. And then I think one person won it twice. Um, It could have been Steve, you know, the former bin man, maybe, maybe. So um, so then I'm showing off my X Factor knowledge there. Uh, so, you know, then it all changed, you know, like with the advent of the streaming and it, it became a whole different ball game. And yeah, a lot of it is streamed directly in and it is more like, I like this, but my friend's listening to some crazy band I've never even heard of. Um, and it's less of a kind of a collective, 
you know, like we all used to sit down and watch Top of the Pops and the top 10 was huge. I mean, I used to watch it every week. And then there was also the midweek charts that would feed into the number one single of the week. And I think there's a reason why we have so many older songs from the past that are still Christmas hits. I mean, some of them are 30, 40 years old. And it's because the quality of the songs and the lyrics, the melody, the production values, they were just so much better. Um, And of course, a lot of the most famous Christmas songs weren't even number one. That, well, that's a very good point. And I mean, what, you know, you look at Last Christmas from Wham, which as a pop lover is one of my favorite Christmas oh, songs. And that... You, you got me at Wham. You got me yeah, at Wham, you know, John. And, and, but also, Melanie, <laughs> like, if you think of that extraordinary video as well, everybody... Oh, rolling around the snow with George Michael. That was like my teen fantasy, you know, right there. Well, I'm sure then you appreciated the 4K version of the video, which was released a couple of years ago, because... George Michael, Andrew Ridgely and all the uh, assorted models in the video look so perfect and beautiful, as do the furnishings, the clothes, the snow is falling perfectly. I mean, it's a great song. And it's worth remembering as well that Last Christmas was the best selling song in Britain in the 1980s that didn't get to number one. Uh, There were well over a million copies sold. And to put it in context with sales today, Think of Inhaler. This is uh, Elijah Hewson, Bono's uh, son. His band Inhaler got a UK number one album earlier this year on the strength of 18,000 sales. One eight thousand. I mean, even 20 years ago, 18,000 sales wouldn't get you in the top 40. So I think part of the reason that so many of these songs register so powerfully with us is because we and people older than us went out and spend their hard-earned cash and 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 physically buying music was it, it was an act i mean you had to go to a shop to do it 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 it, it involved uh, an action and 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 to be honest there was less to do in 1984, when Juan were releasing there that. There was nothing song. to do, John, let's be honest. There was nothing to do, you know. I can tell you, it's, in Tipperary, yeah. where I grew up, there was absolutely nothing to do. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, it really, as I say, I mean, Top of the Pops was such, such a big deal. Today, I mean, my children, it's all about video games. It's about Netflix and Amazon Prime. It's about audiobooks. There's, there's a million things that they can do uh, in, in a way that we couldn't then. And, it, 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 I suppose those kind of simpler times were perfect for for music and music to really register with us. Um, and I have to say, I mean, some of the some of the, the, the number ones that were Christmas themed were pretty awful. I mean, 1980, St. Winifred School Choir. There's no one quite like Grandma. I mean, like. You know, it's it's. Is there anybody listening to this podcast that that desperately wants to hear that song again? Oh, They're no. all going to be googling it now. It's going to get a some surge in hits. <laughs> yeah. You've brought us so to the point, John. Like the good, the bad, the ugly. What's the Christmas number one that stands out in your memory as being the best? The number one. I mean. Okay, I wasn't born in 1973 when Slade 
released Merry Xmas, everybody. But that again was this. It, it, it is it, it, it's it's naff and it's camp and it's 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 glam and 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 yet in its own kind of cheesy way, it absolutely epitomizes uh, Christmas for me and the fun of of Christmas music. Um, you know, I I I I have to say I I I love that. I I would then leap forward to nineteen ninety four. And even though East, these are number ones now in the UK, even though East 17 Stay Another Day is not technically about Christmas, the video... It doesn't even had, have Christmas in the title, does it? It doesn't, you know, no, it, it doesn't. It was just and the video kind of, and snowflakes. You, you see, the video, I, I was a sucker for videos and absolutely you had the snowflakes and that kind of Christmas sort of bells that were spliced into the uh, into the track, probably by some cynical producer saying, do you know what, guys, let's release this around Christmas and sort of have a Christmassy kind of idea to it. I like it. <laughs> It 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 was it was a good move, and it's it was something clever. that, that was Spice good Girls did with two become one move. a few years later. Again, the song really isn't about Christmas at all, but it's 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 we remember the video and the kind of I think they're wearing yes sexy outfits, but sexy with a consciousness about being you know protected from the cold as well. So it does kind of festive sexiness, <laughs> but with a consciousness sexy, that it can John. be cold outside. Um, festive um, sexy. And I think that they're, they're good Christmas tunes. And to be honest, <laughs> I mean, OK, in, in 2004, Band Aid 20, Do They Know It's Christmas was re-released. But really, since then, there has been no UK number one that really was in any way Christmas oriented at, at all, you know, which, 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 is, which is a shame. And I would say that, um, and I know I'm hogging this conversation, I'm going, Melanie's going to come back in very quickly, but last Christmas, um, 1984, it, it, it didn't reach number one, Band-Aid did, but as a Christmas song of my lifetime, I think it's without parallel, uh, it is just, it's kind of perfection as, as Christmas singles go. And that was because George Michael himself was appealing for people to go buy the Band-Aid charity single and to support the cause, wasn't it? Like that, that was an interesting yarn. Mel, what would be your favourite Christmas song of all time? Your favourite Christmas number one? Favourite Christmas song? I mean, can I have two? Can I have two? You're allowed two for this. I think yeah, I can yeah. two. It's Christmas. Why not? I'm greedy. So, I mean, for just getting me up on the dance floor, it's Mariah Carey. Um, All I Want For Christmas Is You, which famously was not a number one hit. Um, like so many others, like Fairy Tale in New York wasn't a number one Christmas hit. Um, but I, I think just get me up on the dance floor. But for me, I was thinking about this earlier and I think it has to be Chris Rhea driving home from driving home for Christmas, even though I'm a dog. You don't have to drive so home I've for Christmas. actually driven home for Christmas. Yeah, sat in the traffic for Christmas, got the, really walked home for Christmas, you know. But to me, I think it signifies, and I have a lot of friends in the country, but like just that idea of, for, for, for many people, Christmas is about being home yeah. and coming home to Ireland and seeing family and friends you haven't seen in a year. And I think this year more than ever, there's so many people who won't be able to make that trip because of the, the horrible, horribleness. And I, I think for me, I think ultimately it, it has everything. It just gives me the feels and it just gives me that nostalgia factor. The fact that Christmas is really just about hanging out with your loved ones and drinking yeah. bottle of Bailey's on the couch while drinking your 
your uh, you're eating your after eights. Um, I love it. I just love it. It definitely gives you the Christmas fuzzy feel when you happen to be in the car and it comes on at the same time. You're driving That's home what to Cork, you. Denise. Yeah, and you're driving it. home to Cork. <laughs> uh, so, guys, the ultimate question before we finish up. Uh, Mel, does the Christmas number one have to be Christmas Sea? Well, I'll tell you this. We were talking about this earlier. What was number one last year? And I looked it up. And we've had the same number one for the last three years, which is a lad, baby, three years in a row. I think only the Beatles have um, surpassed as a compliment. And it's called Don't Stop Me Eating. And it's about sausage rolls, Denise. Sausage, sausage rolls. rolls. The only thing I'm yeah. going to say in its favour is that um, proceeds from the single do go towards a food bank charity. So yeah. And I, I do think call. the Irish are a little bit the Irish seem to be a little bit more traditional with the Christmas song because we have kind of stuck to the ballads more so than the novelty Christmas songs. But John, what do you think? The ultimate question before we finish up, does the Christmas number one have to be Christmassy? I, I think so. For, for it to be the ultimate kind of Christmas number one. I, I mean, uh, you know, we, we talked about the Pogues there and what an extraordinary song that was. It never got to number one, but it, 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 there's a kind of perfection in 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 something like it, which which in in many respects captures the kind of unpleasantness of Christmas for so many people, because often it's a time of arguments and it's a time of unhappiness and 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 grim as that might be the 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 song i'm not coming to your house for christmas <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to argue with anybody except myself but 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 there is something kind of magical and of course ronan keating then i know we're going slightly off topic here oh, but, but he covers it and and does such a terrible job of it you need shane mcgowan's broken down vocal and that kind of that that that, that frustration and anger and all of that to make it work I, I, I look for me the 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 kind of the, the the what I would love to see in future is a really great pop band or pop act thing. Do you know what I want to write something like Last Christmas? I want to create a song that will rejoin that will join the canon that that in that that our children and their children in in decades to come will say do you remember that song christmas 2022 such a huge kind of christmas hit and it's just like white christmas and do they know it's christmas and last christmas it's it's of that stature i'd love to see somebody do that my thanks to john marr and melanie finn I'm Denise Callanan, and today's episode was produced by Siobhan McGuire, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, and with sound design by John Smith. Our archive clips included Merry Christmas Everybody, written by Noddy Holder and Jim Lay, performed by Slade and produced by Chas Chandler, All I Want for Christmas, co-written and co-produced by Mariah Carey and Walter Afansife, performed by Mariah Carey, Last Christmas, written and produced by George Michael, performed by Wham and released on Columbia Records. You can follow the Indo Daily wherever you get your podcasts.